You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mason, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Trey McLaurin. Hey, everybody. You can just give everyone a hey, everybody. We do two takes of this. You're not going to give them something special? No, that's it. Keep it simple. Keep it low-key. You know, I feel like I've been a little too self-deprecating the last few episodes. Just want to keep it easy. I like that. Kiss. Keep it, keep it simple, stupid. No, I do not like that. <laughs> that joke plays a lot better if you've been in the room for every time we've done the intro. <laughs> all three of them. Uh, just look forward to your future uh, Patreon benefits when you can get all of these outtakes. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, but, you know, this week we're going to be doing uh, another kind of debate-style episode. We really like the way that the MTGO versus MTG Arena went. We like that conversational topic. So today we're going to be talking about humans versus spirits. These decks are very similar. We're going to get more into that later. We think it's going to be a very fun, interesting conversation. But first, our OG sponsor, Goblin Char Bargains, is back. And they have an awesome new product for you. So Trey, will you give them what this product is? Uh, Absolutely. That's right. Goblin Char Bargains is back. And as always, they have the most ridiculous turn one deals on the web. Hello, fellow Magic competitor. Are you in the gray doldrums of the winter season? This sluggish, sad time between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Doesn't this time always feel like the last hour of the workday, but it lasts a whole month? It doesn't have to be. With even slippery boggle. (laughs) That's right, it's even more slippery than the original one. They are the cutting edge in boggles technology. Shake off the winter blues trying to catch the impossible to hold, or even to corner slippery, even more slippery boggles. (laughs) You'll never catch them. They're so slick, they won't even hold enchantments. Trey, is is that just a boggle with the word slippier sharpied on it? It's even more slipperier, I'll tell you that. I don't think we slipped up at all during that ad read. <laughs> so, thank you, Goblin Charbarn, for sponsoring the show. We love you as always. Uh, let's hop right into this, though. So I gotta tell you, that ad's as hard to say as it is to catch. Yeah, I mean, with deals that good, they're gonna be sliding right out of your hand. <laughs> Go now. And use the promo code, not again. <laughs> Check out. Um, yeah, thank you again, Goblin Charbargains. Uh, but <laughs> this week on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, humans versus spirits, and I think this is a very interesting conversation, and there's a, re- a weird kind of dynamic that's been happening in the Magic community about these two decks, but basically, Trey, if you had to give a synopsis as to why we're talking about these two decks together versus, like, KCI versus Blue White, why are we talking humans versus spirits? They're very similar decks. Like, they're they're structured in a very similar way. They're, they're low-to-the-ground aggro decks with a tribal theme to pump up the team, but also with disruptive elements. And so they operate in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, like, they're both trying to get on the board, take the board, and then disrupt your opponent a little bit. Right. And, and these decks do them, do these things in similar ways, but they play out differently, and they attack metagames differently. And there's been a big debate, and it seems to really be that the SCG Circuit Tour, uh, up until about this week, were very huge on humans, right? And the, the message in Modern Rights that probably the last year and a half, Trey, has been humans is the deck to play, humans is the best deck in Modern. But recently, a lot of GP success has happened from uh, Spirits. I think it's won 
two of the last five GPs that happened. Paulo Vitor got to another finals finish. That's a third, and it was in the top eight of another one. And Andre Shrovsky top eight then won back-to-back weekends with Band Spirits. And this has all been over a three-month period. So both these decks are clearly very well, uh, well-positioned and doing very well. We see humans dominating SCG. We see Spirits dominating uh, the GPs. And so we just thought it might be a fun episode to kind of each take a side. Because I think, Trey, you kind of like humans a bit more than Spirits. Right, that's kind of like why we got into this. You played humans instead of spirits for a while, and I've been a pretty big spirits advocate. So it's gonna be interesting having this kind of fun conversation between us because we do kind of stay on opposite sides of this. Yeah, I think that is true, and you know, in a in a similar fashion, you know, part of the way that we're going to be structuring this is for the purpose of trying to frame this debate and try to cover what some of the areas are and the topics are between these decks. And everything that we say may not always be necessarily the position that we hold, but we're trying to like cover what the ground is for this topic yes for sure all right trey well do you want to kick us off as the humans person uh sure first off humans is the best and to think anything else is silly <laughs> okay misplaced ginger calm down calm down yeah i've been told that i should be more aggressive <laughs> yeah, <that's> so, <laughs> no. <laughs> no but no but but seriously uh humans is a great deck and one of the reasons that it took modern by storm is that it's extremely low to the ground it's consistent. Like, one of the things about it is that, like, you know, a lot of modern decks have a pretty high fail rate. But, like, with humans, like, you just get to do the thing that you're going to do every time over and over and over again. Like, you always get to cast your spells. You always get to put your stuff into play. And you're just building up this big board with giant guys at a relatively low cost. And then also able to disrupt your opponents to handle, like, the combo decks and the control decks with things like, you know, Kitesail Freebooter and uh, Meddling Mage. That really can make things difficult. Um, it also rewards having knowledge of the format because, like, knowing what to name and knowing what cards matter in order to how to be able to disrupt your opponent, like, makes a big difference in, a, in order to be successful. Um, <clears throat> but it's also one of those decks too that it's it's great to to be in that kind of aggro deck because there aren't necessarily just pieces that are that are you know critically important. Where like if you deal with this one piece that you're going to be okay because all of the pieces are somewhat redundant and do very similar things. And so you can't just be like, well, if I take out the Champion of the Parishes, then I don't have to worry about this. Like, the deck just does the same thing over and over and over again with all the different pieces. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Um, one of the things I would say that's interesting about humans is it does the same thing over and over again because it like has this redundant amount of creatures. But it doesn't really do that. It just has things that do similar things, right? So it's not like I always get the meddling mage against Casey. I don't always get the freebooter against Storm. I don't always get Thalia against Storm. I get a two drop that interacts with them. And that is obviously something that happens when you don't have card selection in any, any sort of deck, right? But that's one thing that I found is a problem with humans. Does that ever, like, aggravate you and annoy you? The fact that, like, you're sometimes just, like, the way you draw your creatures just doesn't line up right in the matchup. Normally they're all pretty decent against the kind of same decks, but they really fluctuate in power. No, but I think I think that it's one of the things about like playing the humans deck well is recognizing like what type of hand do you have. Right? Like because you might have a hand, even if it's like a combo type matchup where you're like, okay, this hand doesn't have the disruptive elements, but this is like the the nuts aggro hand. And like I'm just gonna go ahead and keep this and I'm gonna try to sequence things to kill them before they can do anything. And the the deck is capable of doing that. And then you might have the other ones where you have the more disruptive elements. And when it can get awkward in those matchups is when you have like a half and half. And you have like half of the really aggressive elements and then you have half of the disruptive elements. And it's not necessarily enough of either one to, to do what you need to do on that particular like sequence of turns. But I think it's important when playing the deck to like recognize what role you're playing 
with the with the pieces that you have. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So one thing that I think is particularly challenging about you're talking about the strength. I'm really focusing on the two drops because I think that's one of the I think the champion of the pair stallion is obviously obvious a very big draw to the deck, right? Like even if your matchup is bad, the other half of your deck is just aggressive creatures that hit them. So like you don't really need to have disruption if you kill them quick enough. But when you draw these disruptive pieces, you really have to make sure you're doing the the right thing at the right time. It, I feel like that's a challenge to the deck that m- gives it this inherent kind of high roll potential, where it's kind of like a Hearthstone card like Crackle. Sometimes it does three, sometimes it does six, right? Sometimes you meddling mage in the dark and you're like, they played a snow cover uh, island turn one, <laughs> lol. I'm going to name, you know, uh, Gifts Ungiven, right? Right. And it's like, well, they had no Gifts Ungiven and they like had their like, you know, one of Bolt or whatever, right? It was something along those lines. Right. And I think that that kind of aspect of the deck kind of hurts it. Do you feel like that's not the case or... Do you think, like, the proactive nature of your disruption? Because it's kind of like counter spells versus discard spells in a way, right? Right. Yeah, but I think that I think that one of the benefits to human is that all of their disruptive elements are also furthering their other game plan, right? Because everything's creature-based. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you're playing... If you play a meddling mage in the dark and you don't hit just, you know, half their hand or something else like that that completely destroys everything, you still put a two-drop into play that maybe grew your champion of the parish or that can attack for three because of your noble hierarch or does something else that's still, like a piece of the puzzle of trying to get you across to end the game. You know, Kite Sail Freebooter is less that a lot of the times, just because it's not as impactful in combat, although it is one of the few evasion creatures that you have, which can make a difference. You know, um, so sometimes that can get awkward, especially if you get, like, flooded on meddling mages and you're not naming successfully with any of them. Like, that can be a bit of a problem. But overall, the fact that you're not, like... You know, uh, just trying to name things like with an enchantment based or something else. Like the fact that it's all creatures and it continues to be able to put presence on the board and put pressure on your opponent. Like they have to continue to respond to that and be reactive a little bit. And so I think that that's not so bad. It can get awkward and sequencing matters a lot with the deck. Like I think that's a thing that you really have to pay attention to. Especially if you have a hand that has like Thalia, Kitesail, Freebooter, and Meddling Mage like all in the same hand. Like, in what order are you going to play those things and what are you going to do, like, is going to be something that makes a big difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I think we should start talking about spirits and the strength of spirits, and we'll kind of come back to these weaknesses and have rebuttals for each other. I just want to have that little bit of a conversation there. Spirits, there's a lot of pros to spirits. So I I, I have some takes about spirits, um, and this isn't me being extreme for the podcast or taking a stance. Are, are these hot takes or cold takes? These are really hot takes. Oh, okay. So my first hot take is... I think if you're tr- if you're not willing to play a deck that's going to spike a tournament, like a amulet tiny KCI type deck, ones that are non interactive, I think Spirits is the best deck. Assuming you don't, you're adverse to those kind of decks, and you're like me or PV, and you don't want to play one of those right now in Modern, I think Spirits is the best deck, hands down, no argument. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. My second thing, and I'm that's the podcast. To- so thanks for tuning in. <laughs> yeah, as the host, I do that and edit to the point where we do the sign off. Wow. Okay. Uh, can't believe you won the argument so well, Mason. Um, no, but my second thing is, and I never, I haven't told anyone this. And I've thought this for two weeks. <laughs> and I, I know I'm going to get yelled at. I think Spirits is the new Splinter Twin. Whoa! I think it's the closest thing I've seen to Splinter Twin. Have, have you ever cast a Splinter Twin? Yes. Okay. So here's the difference. Here's the difference. <laughs> just, just wanted to double check. So yeah, yeah. So here, here's let me make my argument. Then you can attack okay, me. Okay, sure. I, I didn't want to say this before because I want to get Trey's honest reaction. Oh man, I'm so mad right now. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. Unlike Splinter Twin, you don't instantly win the game, but you do a similar game plan of you kind of put a little bit of pressure on your opponent, and then they kind of have to play around these cards like Spell Queller, Rattle Chains, Vile bringing in Lords, and that kind of stuff, and makes your opponent 
have to leave up mana and play around things in a similar way that Pestermite Splinter Twin did. So it isn't as powerful as like the Splinter Twin combo. That's obvious. Don't, but don't it, backpedal now. No, no, no. But I think when they play into it, it's just as powerful. I think lots of times when you spell quill your opponent's four drop, and they're just like, I have to play into this. It's kind of like you had to do like, I have to tap out this turn for Jace the Mind Sculptor, and they might Pestermite Splinter Twin me, but that's life, right? And those kind of games, when you have Spell Queller, I think it's just as powerful and normally ends the game immediately. The tempo loss is so huge in Modern. So Spirits, a lot like Humans, is a proactive deck that has disruptive elements. But unlike Humans, I don't have to be the one initiating my reaction spells. And I put a lot of pressure on my opponents. So that does a lot of things. It changes the dynamic a lot. So when Trace playing his stupid Ground Spirits... Uh, he, he plays Meddling Mage, he has to name a card, and if he doesn't have Kite Self Rebooter to set up the old Getaxian Probe Cabal Therapy Lock, as they say, and, you know, they get all the cards out of their hand, there's a lot of emphasis on him to get the right card or to hedge his bets. When I have a couple spirits on board and it gets to my turn where I get to react, I don't have to do anything. I get to pass the turn and just hit them, and then it's on them to play around my stuff. And if they don't do something that's impactful enough, then I don't have to use my Spell Queller. This is amplified by 10 when you get to your Coco turns. Because now it's like, God, I have to do something to make them not want a Coco and make them use their Spell Queller. And I think those kind of decisions really change the deck. So while the Humans deck is better at building up its Snowball faster and faster and faster, I think the Spirits is a lot like Splinter Twin where it forces your opponent to make these decisions, it trips them up, and then it basically closes the door. One thing that happens a lot with Spirits is you'll ask your opponent, we agree life totals are at 12, right? At the end of their turn. And they'll be like, yeah. And you'll be like, all right, flash something in, play a Lord, kill you. That happens a lot with spirits. It's a lot like Splinter Twin where you just die out of nowhere in one turn when you have to make these commitments to the board. And right now with Modern, the metagame is very focused on committing to the board or committing to a combo strategy. So having cards like Mausoleum Wanderer, Spell Queller, having Vile in order to bring in Lord to throw off dis- uh, combat math and disruption is huge. And I think that's why the spirit deck is better than humans right now in the metagame. That's not to say anything of the fact that you don't have a sideboard. You have creatures that do things that are like, I'll say this. It's impressive for the amount of ziggurats that they have, what they're able to do. I get to play Stony Silence, Rest in Peace, Worship, Disdainful Stroke, Gaddic Teague, Thalia, uh, Night of Autumn, uh, Dampening Sphere. I get to play all these real cards. I have a real sideboard. You're like, well, I'm going to win game one like 70% of the time, and then post-spore I'm going to get with some little edges, and I'm probably like 55-45 at best one way or the other, so like, that's kind of cool. My deck's like, I win 65% of the time all the time, and then I go to the sideboard and my percent goes up. Your percent goes down. I think that's huge in modern. Normally, the biggest thing in modern, in my opinion, is what your sideboard looks like, and Spirits does a really good job of adapting at sideboard. I can see you have stuff you want to say. I'm going to pass priority to you on the new Splinter Twin. Mm. Three man up. Listen, <laughs> if you would have said that it had a, 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 a comparable balance of like to fairies, then sure, I think we could have been there. I've never played when fairies is good, so I don't know. Yeah, so it, it's very similar. Like, you know, with fairies, if you had a situation where you had mana up, then your opponent had to try to guess around what spells you had. Okay. Like, if you had four mana up, you could have Cryptic Command, you could have Spell Stutter Sprite, you could have Scion of Una, you could have. Uh, misbind click you could have all of these various things that were happening and that they all did very different things that could ruin the game for your opponent like, uh, it, it sounds like that's closer to what spirit says yeah I, I to be fair i've literally never played against fairies when it was a good deck in any format but i hear that it was oppressive but i, I just don't have the experience and my experience is very similar to splinter twin where it punishes you yeah but so with splinter twin was a different kind of deal because splinter twin put a fear into your opponent 
that they played out the entirety of their turns for the majority of the time, scared to death that they were going to lose the game all the time. And if they made a wrong decision, they were going to lose the game all the time. And you were able to dictate all of their plays on every turn a lot of the times because of that. And there has not been a comparable deck that was putting that kind of pressure on your opponent to to sweat those decisions in the way that Splinter Twin does. They are not comparable at I, I, all. Would you agree that Spirits is the first deck you've seen in Modern and that does something close to that? Uh, again, like I said, I think it's much more similar to a Fairies type deck than okay. it is to a Splinter Twin type deck. That's fair. Uh, but because of having like multiple threats that do different things, but all of them could be potentially bad, and you having to thread the needle as to what those are. Mm-hmm. And as an like having to think about like is it going to be a lord is it going to be a counter spell like you know spell queller is comparable to your you know misbind click which is going to like tap their lands right like it does these various things that you have to do be like okay i'm going to go to combat so that i can cast stuff in a second it's like oh i got misbind clicked in combat and now second main phase i can't cast spells and i'm going to lose like that's the kind of thing that would happen with fairies you know on a regular basis or be like i'm going to play around misbind click and i got cryptic commanded and now i also can't win like it was a it was a tough tension in that way, and I think Spirits is much more similar to that type of a deck. Mm-hmm. Um, the disadvantage being between Spirits and what was going on with Fairies a lot of times is that all of the cards in uh, uh, Spirits cost three mana. Like, you are, like, super loaded at the three mana spot, uh, which is something that I think can be a limitation of the deck. But then it plays to the strength if you're playing things, you know, with your vials on three, and when you're playing at instant speed, then I think that can be one of the things that attributes to the strength of the deck. But it also does make it a little clunky at times. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so before we move on, because we, we are going to do a part where we kind of talk, we're going to each say what we think is a weakness of the deck, right. and then yeah, we rebuttal that. Is there anything you wanted to say about the pros before I moved on that you disagreed with, or like had questions about, kind of like I did with meddling made and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that one of the main things is uh, I don't want to get too much, you know, mm-hmm. into rebuttal territory. We, we just move to rebuttal. Yeah. If you think that's better for it. That's fine. You know, I mean, I think the Spirits is a very strong deck. And I, I think that, that you know, it does a lot of the similar things that humans, you know, does. I, one of the strengths that I think that you didn't touch on that I think is important to note is evasion. Oh, yeah. Is that everything in Spirits flies. Right? Good point. And, like, that's a big impact and that's big game. Right? Like, because if you're playing against Green Black, you're playing against humans, you're playing against all of these other creature-based decks, no matter what it is that they are, they have a limited number of flying creatures and limited ways possibly to interact with flying creatures. Everything in Spirits flies. Like, you know, when you've been playing humans, there have been plenty of games where you're, like, sweating, getting, you know, like a Mantis Rider. You're like, oh, buddy, if we get Mantis Rider, this is over, because flying matters that much a lot of times in matchups. And so that is, I think, one of the strengths that's important to note for Spirits. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I, I I think in, I, in passing, I said stupid ground guys, and in my head I, like, <laughs> checked off the box of my creatures have flying and evasion. But, yeah, you're totally right. The fact that I basically all my creatures have unblockable. Uh, someone was playing Merfolk last night, and I was like, you know you don't have to put Spreading Seas in your deck to make your creatures unblockable. You just have to play Spirits. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay, well, that's fair. Someone was playing Merfolk. Were you in a time bubble? <laughs> was it some kind of Tommy weird... Bitter does what he wants to do, baby. <laughs> <laughs> was he wearing, like, steampunk goggles? I don't... Did he come from some kind of alternate place? I don't know, man. Tommy does what he wants to do. Let the man live his best life. <laughs> all right. But Something's fishy about this whole thing. I know that. I get it. Merfolk are fish. Yeah, no, see, they're like fish people. And so that's the joke. There was a joke there? Yeah. Yikes! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought jokes were funny. Should I scale it back? See, because fish have scales. This is another... 
I'm not going to edit out the silence. That's <laughs> good. I hope you don't. <laughs> All right. So, I love it. I'm comfortable in it. Let, let's go to the, the, the rebuttal part, because I could tell we both kind of were at chopping at the bits to kind of talk about the weaknesses of the other deck. So do you want to lead off, since I just talked about spirits, and we'll wrap around about the humans? Yeah, sure. I, again, and I kind of hinted at this. I think that one of the things that happens with spirits that can be a bit of a weakness is that, like, spirits has, a, has an advantage when it can, like, get on the board and then leave its spells up and do these other kind of things. But it's not as cheap and efficient as humans is, as far as getting on the board. Because a lot of its stuff costs three, and it can be kind of clunky in that regard. And so sometimes you may not be able to get in on the front foot and be the aggressor in that type of a situation to be able to then, like, play the Delver-type game or the Fairies-type game of, like, leaving your stuff up. Because your stuff costs more and is a little bit more clunky uh, in that regard. Two is that because most of the way that you pump up your stuff is with Lords, is that if you can interact with the Lords, you can then reduce like the overall size and effectiveness of the creatures in a way that's not the same as in humans. Um, and so I think that that's a limitation too, that there can be an angle of an attack there when looking at attacking spirits. Like if you can target the Lords with your removal, try to focus on that type of thing, then your creatures are all relatively non-threatening. Okay. I would say in rebuttal to that, that it is true that spirits kind of needs to build up, but part of the strength of the deck is its reactive nature. And the one thing I didn't really mention is, so the deck doesn't play a whole lot of spells that aren't like Aether Vile Coco in the main deck. Like at this point, some people play Pass, some people don't. Reflector Mage is kind of taking that slot. And all your creatures have effects on them. So when you're building the board, you're also uh, snowballing kind of forward a little bit. Not at the same rate, I would say, as humans. Humans definitely, like with the plus one, plus one counters, Althalia's Lieutenant copying with an image, really takes over the game in that kind of way and can get it out of control. But Spirits is a much like more like beat by beat by beat like incremental advantage of taking over and has the potential to full swing with cards like Spellqueller that humans just doesn't have. And so I think that is more powerful in modern when the format's so much about racing. And I can show where you're coming from with that. A second part of it is too is that um one of the things that you have is that you were talking about with like the uh the strength of the deck, you know, is you have this reactive thing, you have these spell quellers and you have this stuff where you can kind of put your opponent on the back foot, is that Spirits a lot of times has a smaller number of reactive elements than some of the other decks. I mean, like, if you don't have Spellqueller, like, it can be a real problem unless your opponent's just playing around it or respecting it. Like, you don't have as many disruptive elements, right? Like, you have Reflector Mage, you have Spellqueller, but you don't have a lot else going on. You have Mausoleum Wander. Mausoleum Wander. Oh, okay, this is a good point. So here's the thing. Champion of the Parish and Mausoleum Wander get compared a lot, right? The upside of Champion of the Parish is it, it snowballs out of control very quickly. Right? Like, because you play more things, it keeps its pluses. Mausoleum Wanderer doesn't. The difference is Mausoleum Wanderer is a card that's better at interacting with decks that care about interacting. Right? So Mausoleum Wanderer, I think, gets slept on a lot. And I kind of slept on it at first when I was playing with the deck, but I've grown to respect it more. Because even when you don't see it, it's making your opponents wait to play cards until they have the man up to make your card not matter. And I think that matters a lot. It also is a lightning rod a lot of the time because they're like, listen, I'm going to fatal push your Mausoleum Wanderer right now. I want to fatal push a lord, but if I don't do this now, I'm going to have to wait more mana. It's going to get out of control, so I'm going to hit your mausoleum wanderer at the end of your turn. Mm -hmm. Well, on my turn, right? And it's like, cool, I'm going to play a lord. Replacing that really matters. So I think that matters a lot, and I think you're sleeping on selfless spirit, too. Selfless spirit matters a lot, and it looks like it wouldn't, but in like the human versus spirit matchup, the fact that you have flying matters a lot, but almost what matters more is you get a selfless spirit down. The humans are normally bigger, but you can block in a way that trades off just a little bit, sack your spirit, kill a couple of their things, and it's like, all right, we're at parity now, but I have flying. I just need to hit a lord, and then you're dead. So I think that card matters a lot. Rattle Chains is terrible. I'm, I'm almost to the point where I'm about to cut it. <laughs> I, I, against like uh, decks that are all about spells and interacting with you, it's very good. 
uh, and it can make your deck trickier, but at times it just lacks the power. But even that still, it's basically a counterspell at times. If your opponent spends mana to like terminate your lord, you're like flashing battle chains, give it hexproof. That's backbreaking. So the deck does interact a lot. Reflector Mage is another card. You didn't mention it, but it's also it's basically a spell that interacts. Right, so, and I did say that. I mean, Reflector Mage does stuff. And, okay. You know, and part of it is like, you know, it's not like Mausoleum Wander never interacts, but it interacts on a limited plane, right? And so, like, you know, there are some decks where it can do a lot of work against, and there's other decks where it doesn't do anything. It's just a it's a flyer that you know periodically grows and hits harder than it would otherwise. And so, you know, it does have a fail rate, you know, as in comparison to some of the other interactive elements that you get in a deck like humans, right? Like, like meddling mage, if you know what they're playing, like, and you can do things like you can get some kind of value out of it against every situation, right? Like if you can just pick cards that matter and do things like that, it, it doesn't have the limitations to it that that does. That's reasonable. I, I think, I think it's hard to respect Mausoleum Wanderer when you haven't played with it. And even when you do, it takes a while. But then you talk to people after the match a lot, and it's like I said, they're like, yeah, I had to do this, or like it got to a point where I wanted to do this, but I couldn't because I'm Mausoleum Wanderer. And it, it's a card that does a weird thing where like it isn't like overtly powerful. I think that's the right word. Like on its face, it's just not super powerful. But what it does is it warps the game in a way that makes it powerful. Sure, and I mean, it's definitely like, I mean, it's, it's better Curse Catcher. I mean, oh. like, 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 Curse Catcher's sure. a joke. Well, no, but <laughs> Curse, Curse Catcher, I, I've won a lot of games of <laughs> Magic, like, but as a result of Curse Catcher, right? Yeah. Like, I know that that can be a powerful effect, mm -hmm. but like, you know, you can also just play against a deck where it's like, okay, this doesn't do much of anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. it just doesn't, they, you know, like, they're playing, like, KCI or whatever, and like, this doesn't, this just, this can attack, but it doesn't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so, um, they you know. Stop. Huh? Except stop the demonic tutor, but whatever, keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> Except when they demonic tutor with their land. <laughs> well, ancient turns, but yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but I'm just saying that, like, it, it is a, it is an effective interactive base. I'm just saying that there is a limitation, I think, of the number of interactive pieces that are there for spirits, you know, in comparison possibly to humans in that regard. I and mean, it seems like it's more because of the kind of impact that they can have on a game. Like, like spell starter spark can like swing a game in a big way on a turn if you hit an impactful spell because you can be like mana up and tempo up on a turn and can put a lot of pressure on somebody as a result of that. But like that card, I think makes it seem like there's a lot more interactive elements with the deck than there are. You, uh, you're saying, uh, the spell queller, like the, the impact that spell queller can have on a game, like makes spirits feel like a more interactive deck than it is. Yeah. That there are a limited number of cards that interact with your opponent in a lot of ways, you know, and then you can interact with them like in a, in a, in a reverse way where you have like drug skull captain, double drug skull captain, right? Like if you could image it or something else like that to make it where your guys then can't be interacted with, like feels like an interactive spell in a certain way. You I, know? I, I yeah. think it is. I, yeah. I think, I think messing with the cards in your opponent's hands is essentially what these cards are doing. I think that's what the disconnect is between us is that I feel like all my creatures do something that like impact the board in some way minus rattle chains I would say even Noble Hierarch, it's Exalted and Mana Ramp is imp impactful to the game. I, maybe those two are the weakest ones in that example. But all my other cards impact the board in a way and interact with my opponent. And maybe not like as face forward as Meddling Mage named Lightning Bolt. They have three Lightning Bolts. They're like, bah, Bobby. Like, <laughs> like, it isn't like that. But I think the Spirits deck, it, it does so many incremental things that it is interacting. It's just doing it in a weird creature-based way that's atypical and different than we normally think about interactive decks and magic. I think humans didn't do the, do it similarly, 
But when we get to the weaknesses in humans in a second, I'll say I think spirits isn't much better. And I kind of said at the beginning, but I have more to go into that detail. Sure. So. And the last point that I wanted to hit as far as weaknesses with spirits is one of the things that you identified as a strength. And and it, okay. I want to be like clear on what it is that I'm trying to say here. Is like yes, spirits has access to a lot of real sideboard cards. Okay. However, those real sideboard cards also will dilute the plan of what it is that you're trying to do. And this is this is a balance I know that you and I've talked about before. Yeah. That okay, yes, you can bring in things like rest in peace and stony silence and all of these other cards, and now your cocos are worse, and now you're you know you're not being able to be as aggressive, and you're not being able to do some of these other things. Like like because of the way that your sideboard is structured, yes, they are haymaker type cards that can swing matchups, but you can also then dilute your deck uh, from what it is that your game plan is and what it is that you're trying to do. And that that can be, it's not necessarily, when you speak, it can be a difficulty with the deck as far as trying to strike a balance of what it is that you're trying to do. And with humans, the inverse of it is that you may have cards that are lesser impact overall, but all of them still continue to further your primary game plan. Like, no matter what it is that they are, because they're creature-based, like, they're somewhat disruptive, they're somewhat impactful, they do whatever it is that they're going to do, but they're always continuing to put pressure on your opponent. So, yeah, I, I will, I, I can't lie that, like, the fact that you bring in enchantments and side-out, like, creatures at times makes your Cocos worse. Basically, I think what the truth of the matter is, is it makes you a worse Coco deck, and Coco is one of your most powerful things that we've kind of grazed over, but I was going to bring up in the weakness of humans in a second, and it's sort of a strength of spirits, is that you do get Collected Company, which provides these huge tempo swings, especially when all your creatures interact, like I've said. I think what happens is you become kind of a worse Coco deck post-board, to the point where you have to board out Cocos when that kind of stuff happens, and that's what I've started to be doing more and more, and my success rate's gone up. When you first look at it, you know, if you look at Catlight's Twitter and you look at her sideboard guide for spirits or whatever, you see a lot of cut a cocoa, cut a drug skull cap, and you're like, why am I doing this? And then, like, you look at what else you're doing, you're like, oh, I'm picking all these spirits, these cards just aren't as good. So it makes you a little bit worse, but I think the trick is you're giving up a little bit there and you're becoming less of a, a reactive counterspelly creature deck in a way with, like, Reflector Mage, Spellqueller being counter spells in air quotes, right? You're making them do something and then you're responding to it. Instead, you become more of a tap out deck and you're like, Stony Silence, Rest in Peace. Like, these are cards that beat you. So it doesn't really matter that I'm less tricky and less reactive. I just have Haymakers that I don't need to be. So while my deck lowers in power level in the abstract, in the matchups I'm bringing those cards in, I'm probably equal to or even better than because my cards are unbeatable at times. Like, Stony Silence against, uh, what's the deck, Hardened Scales? If they don't draw a way to kill the Stony Silence, and I play the Stony Silence at a reasonable rate, they have a really hard time ever winning a game of Magic. So I think you lose a lot, but I think the power level of your sideboard really helps with that. Yeah, and, I, and with it too, is, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is a bad thing, but it's something that you have to be aware of if you're playing the deck. Mm-hmm. Because whatever opponent you're playing with in Modern, like if, they're, if you're playing, if they're playing Dredge, or they're playing Hardened Scales, or they're playing KCI, you know, they're going to bring in cards to interact with whatever your hate cards are. Mm-hmm. And, like, and so if you dilute your deck too much, bringing in these like Haymaker cards, it's like, okay, if you're not also pressuring them in combination with these things, you're not going to get very far. And what it is that you're trying to do. It's like, okay, I drew three stony silences, but I didn't get anywhere because these things were happening. And so, you know, it's just something that, it, it's something that can impact spirits that doesn't have the same impact necessarily in humans. Because it's like, if I'm bringing in like Reclamation Sages or whatever, it's like, okay, I kill your thing, but I can still attack and still do things. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, I just want to move on to the the humans part, the weaknesses, I'm going to say that. Because I, I think I'm going to the point where it's hard for me to not talk about that in relation yes. to what we're talking about. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm going to talk about some of the weaknesses of humans. I'm going to bring them up here. One thing that we've glanced over, but we haven't specifically talked about, is we're both Noble Hierarch Vile decks. Yes. Which are two, you know, if you think about it, Vile, when you activate every turn, is like a mini Lotus if it's on two, and it's actual Lotus if it's on three. 
right? Like you just have a black lotus that gives you all the mana you need and you get to do stuff at instant speed and it's insane. Vile is a very powerful card. Your deck takes advantage of Vile in a way that I think is fine and obviously good, but not to its full potential like Spirits does. So you're, you're playing Vile just as a way to cheat mana and go harder on the board faster. Go fast, Ricky Bobby. Spirits uses it as a way to disrupt your opponent and play into its game plan better. And I think Aether Vile, weirdly in an Aether Vile Coco deck, which you think wouldn't work well together, actually plays incredibly well in Spirits. So I think the Cumin deck is just not as good as an Aether Vile deck, even though it's still a good Aether Vile Noble deck. I think, excuse me, the, the way that Spirits plays with mana is much stronger. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that you know, Spirits has an interactive element. You know, you, you basically, if you can get it on three, you can get a Lord, a Reflector, Mage, or a Spellqueller, mm-hmm. right? And at Humans, if you have it on three, you can get, you know, Mantis Rider, Reflector, Mage. That That's basically... Sometimes what, a Keswick. Sometimes a Keswick or something like that. But, like, that's most of what you're dealing with with Humans if you're on three. But when you're at two in Humans, you have so many things you can put into play. And, like, it can make combat math a nightmare a lot of the times. Because the fact that everything you're putting in grows the rest of your team, like, when you're attacking in, it's just, it's for, you're right that it is for a different purpose. But it makes, you know, you talk about getting killed out of nowhere. You know, if you're attacking in with a bunch of humans and they have a vial on two, like, blocking can be a bit of a nightmare. Because it could be Thalia's Lieutenant, it could be any number of things that are going to, like, mess up the math because everything's going to grow in some capacity. I think it's only really Thalia Lieutenant Phantasmal Image that matters at that point. Um, I, I will say the the threat I'll give you is, you know, I have to play around you having Thalia Lieutenant even though you have Kite Sail Freebooter, for example, right? Which is very, which is it's real. I'm not not yeah. saying it's not. I'm just saying that I think even there, you it really comes down to like discard spells versus counter spells, right? Like the, it's funny because like I kind of had that thought earlier in the podcast, and I said it, and I hadn't thought about it like this before. But part of the reason discard spells are worse than counter spells, even though they essentially do the same thing, is that discard spells ask you to play on your turn, and counter spells ask you to play on your opponent's turn. And even though you have Aether Vial, unless you're really reflector maging or getting super tricky with like like height stay on the draw step or a meddling mage after they tutor which is fun no one's doubting that sweet. no one <laughs> you know in, you know you more maybe use image to copy a reflector mage that you had so like yeah. you can play on that stuff and for what it's worth spirits also plays image so i get to do a lot of that same stuff too um the fact that you get to leave up your mana and be the reactor i think is inherently strong in magic magic definitely favors the defending player in almost every aspect right you get to design blocks. You get to be the second one to react. Reacting second normally gives you a mana advantage. Mana matter is like the most important thing in Magic. And especially in Modern, we're like, it's funny because I think a lot of times we keep talking about the head-to-head in a way, like in our inner descriptions. But think about the field at large, mm-hmm. right? Like KCI, you have to like play Meddling Mage and you're like, God, am I going to win in time that I need to name KCI? Or am I not doing my far away and I have a Thalia so I have to name EE so they can't EE me and do this kind of thing. And like, it puts a lot of pressure on you to make the right plays. What Spirit asks you of is that be patient, play like it's artifact, respond second, <laughs> and and disrupt them and know when to make the the pushes, right? Yeah. And, and really, the, the one of the one of the hardest things Spirit asks you is to plan out a kill over three turns. But when you're the reactor, it's so much easier to do, and it's so taxing on all these non-interactive decks. That they basically have to jam into you a lot of the time is their best bet. They're like, I can never beat Spellqueller, KCI on four. And I had this happen last night. It's like, Spellqueller. Right. Untap, play two lords, hit you for ten. Go. Yeah, and the inverse of the way that you approach that with humans is because humans is lower to the ground and gets yeah. bigger faster, 
is that you are the aggressor and then you can dictate them to have to react. And so you don't need to disrupt as much as you can disrupt and buy yourself a turn. That's a lot of the times enough to just kill them because you can go faster and harder. I think that's true, but I think the trick is that in modern, the decks are so good at being fast. And and here's the other thing. You have an inherent disadvantage in current modern. So it's worth noting we're talking about modern right now as it stands on December 1st, right? In a year, this might not be the case. In four weeks, this might not be the case. People don't want to lose to humans. People have played against humans a lot. People have game plans for humans. People are just now getting that spirits is the best deck in modern. It's a thing that's just now starting to be accepted, and people are just now starting to get game plans for humans people know how to play through they know what they're doing right spirits they're not and it, it also plays in that same thing where you're dictating the plays but they're they can be like i don't care that you're dictating these plays i'm just gonna escape shift you right and so it, it's a lot of pressure on you to draw your cards that matter and i can never have a spell queller if my opponent respects it too much i get to win and that's a huge difference in the games for sure and I think what you're talking about right now is the scoreboard effect because humans has won so many events and put so many people on the pro tour that people are trying to have more of a, a game plan for it. Mm-hmm. Um, this would also be an argument that you could say for humans because it's won so many events. That's true, so but, but when we're talking about things, we're not talking about them in the abstract, right? Like there's the famous game podcast episode where they said the Scarab God's unplayable. And at that time, the Scarab God was unplayable. But about two weeks later, the metagame changed and Blue Black became a real deck and Scarab God was playable. It doesn't when we're talking about things, we're talking about them in the moment. I can't be a slave to what's going to happen in the future, and I can't be a slave to a year ago. A year ago, I would have said humans is the best deck in modern, or easily one of the top three best decks in modern. Now, I feel like it's not in the top three. I feel like Spirits is probably the best deck, and then KCI is probably the second best deck, and Hard and Scales is like right up there. And that's like the new one that's climbing up. It's kind of like the new Spirits, where people are like, I don't know, this deck doesn't seem like a modern level deck. A lot of things, it's funny, a lot of people on Twitter and places are talking about hardened skills the same way they talked about spirits. Where they're like, it's not a modern level deck. It doesn't play modern power level cards. But the way that it attacks the format and plays its game plan is so powerful that I don't think that matters. And that's a different episode, obviously. Right. But, yeah. It's always hard when you have a combo base and you're not, like, killing on turn three. They're like, are you a modern deck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think that's, like, the trick, right? Is that, like, they're essentially dead. Right. Just, like, you have this, like, pseudo deadness to you but um yeah i i just think spirits there's some there's definitely some truth to what you're saying i just think spirits is better at playing this kind of game plans i think inherently in magic i and this might just be a mentality thing too right i think being reactive is stronger and as such i think you might be under the impression that being proactive is stronger and that's like where the the delineage comes from well and i think that too and and, you know as as we recall from the beginning right like these are the positions of the two decks right like like you know not necessarily our our whole I'm sorry, I'm more like yeah, people but, who are debating yeah, humans yeah, versus spirits. I'm, I'm using you as like the, the banner human player. Straw man. Straw man, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> no, but absolutely. I mean, but that's the real deal, right? Like, in, in, it's more about the way these two decks are structured. And I think we've successfully covered that, right? That like, humans' goal is to get down, get fast, disrupt an element, get a turn, kill you, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, and get big and go wide. And that spirits is more about, like you said, setting up, disrupting your opponent making them play around things it also kills you relatively fast but it's more of a a a volume game and a disruptive game that you need more elements to try to get there as opposed to with humans you could just play a bunch of stuff and kill them never disrupt them at all Mm -hmm. and just get under them before something else happens that's true i have a couple more points i want to finish off i will say i would say spirits on average is a turn slower than humans right but with a reactive nature i think that's fine um 
you kind of talked about my sideboard and said that like I'm making my deck weaker and you're like my game plan is still the same of attacking and like getting stuff but like your cards aren't real sideboard cards for the most part like sin collector is passable static caster is passable those are real cards Tormont crypt great addition if graveyards matter that's passable that's about eight cards then you have seven cards in your sideboard how many do you need <laughs> 15 <laughs> need 15 real cards when the metagame is 30 decks big this isn't standard where you get to be like I got my black green just guy Drake cards I'm Gucci <laughs> somebody at a legacy GP in Japan paid 4 cards no one ever heard of before they aren't a real card it's not that I've ever heard of it he made the card up wow okay I guess we're just making cards now no but um, seriously I think I think humans players do that a lot where they're like, my deck's already disruptive. I already have these cards that are counter, like sideboard cards in my deck. I don't need to have these things. And I'm like, no, I think you really do. So if you're going into a modern tournament and you feel you don't need specific sideboard hate cards, maybe Humans is the deck for you. If you're like me and Paul Levis and Dominic Rosa <laughs> and, you know, some of the, you know, other great players in the game, uh, you might think that you want to have these powerful cards. And I will say this, you and I were talking about this before the podcast. In modern, there are always decks you can't beat. Yes. The, the metagame is just too big. It's too hard to attack all these decks. Spirits allows you to focus in and pick a few decks and beat them. And, and if they're bad matchups, make them even because you have real sideboard cards. Your deck, humans, does not do that. We haven't even talked about the fact yet that people responded to our two decks by switching to control decks. And that your deck, like, that our decks are conversely better and worse against the opposite control deck. Like, you're really good versus Jeskai. I'm really bad versus Jeskai. You're really bad versus Blue-White. I can't lose Blue-White. So, like, it's funny how, like, these control decks are attacking us in different ways, and it's weird, because I think... And I, you know, I'm kind of wrapping up here. I, I think I've kind of said everything I want to say. And I, there's not much... Do you have anything you want to respond about the sideboard? No, no. I mean, you know, not really. It's just that you're right in the sense that Spirits allows you to pick spots and to try to, to shore up a matchup. And then Humans doesn't do that as well. But, you know, Humans is good against the matchups it's good against. Mm-hmm. And it's really good against the matchups that it's good against. And it's consistent against the matchups that it's good. But you're not going to shore up a lot of matchups that you're bad against with the sideboard. Yeah. But, you know, I do think that that's true. But it's that your your main deck game plan is is good and consistent and good against a lot of varied decks. That's fair. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to the wrap-up here. I want to say this. I think part of the reason our decks are so good in the metagame, and I think your deck's still like a top 5, top 10 deck in modern. It's totally reasonable by every metric of the word. Um, I think we're so good because we play similar game plans but ask for different answers out of sideboards. And because we're both so popular in the metagame, we're straining sideboard slots and the way to play against us is so different that we have like a symbiotic relationship. Right. We're, we're like, I am Venom to your carnage. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we both are stronger because we exist in the same environment. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And uh, is yet one more reason why I'm not touching a control deck in Modern anytime soon. <laughs> that's fair. It, it asks, modern asks a lot of you with a control deck. You get to play one mana sweepers. I'll say that. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, uh, jokes aside... Just, just in, to wrap up here, I, I honestly, I think if you're going to be playing an RPTQ soon and you want to play a deck that has a good chance versus the decks that you think are going to be there, is a powerful deck and will let you have a chance to play Magic and you don't want to just randomly lose to hate cards. Because I was pretty big on KCI before, but I got to the point where people had so many hate cards I was just losing I wasn't able to be okay with that. 
And I think picking your, I think it's okay to be okay to lose to those cards. If you want to be like, listen, I'm walking in, and if someone has two rips, two stonies, and some nature claims, can't win. Good games. I think that's a totally reasonable way, and I have done well in modern and doing that a lot. I played a lot of decks like that. Right now, I don't think that's the way to go. I think if you want to play a real deck that interacts, Spirits is the best deck in modern. I I have not heard a good argument from anyone to say differently. I think it is the best deck in modern. If you are not okay with losing to hate cards. If you're if you're okay with losing to hate cards, I think there are other decks that are quite good that are on a similar power level to Spirits. Yeah. I don't know if I would go as far as saying that Spirit is the best deck in modern. Um, you know, I do say as far as like g- genuine opinion, I think that, you know, I think that Spirits has an edge over humans as far as a deck that I would look to play in an event. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there is something too, if you're a person who has been playing humans a lot, you have a lot of reps in with humans, that it is a, a great choice still to go into a tournament and an event with and to play and be successful with. Um, but, you know, given the choice between the two, I would, I would play Spirits in an event. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a lot of broken stuff that can be done, like KCI, Amulet, Dredge. There are, like, these, you know, linear decks that do really, really powerful things that are also difficult to interact with um, that that are something that I would also lean towards. Yeah, don't sleep on hiring scales for the RPT. I'm going to say that too. Oh, for sure. It's very good versus both humans and spirits, and it's fast enough to beat on deck, so. And uh, talking about a thing that, like, taxes your opponents, like, people mess that math up. A bunch. <laughs> like, a bunch. <laughs> I was talking to our friend James Hess. We were doing a little bit of playtesting, and I was like, well, the upside of playing against you on hard scale so much is I've gotten pretty good at counting the math. I'm not going to get punked at the RPTQ, so that's nice. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to just, like, die to, like, an onboard lethal I missed. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I don't know how many people I've seen or played against where there's, like, yeah, an arcbound ravenger, a hardened scales, and a walking ballista, and play. And they're like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother to try to figure out what all of this is going to be. I just know it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, everyone does the hangar bath mac wrong with the arcbound ravenger. They're like, yes. well, at least one person like almost always does. They're like, <laughs> oh, the harden and the move, and <laughs> God, <laughs> it's very funny. But no, but I think that's going to wrap it up. I kind of I like this episode. I thought it was nice to have this kind of back and forth and this deliberation. And maybe one day you'll get the deck that you actually like to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm a more experienced debater. You want me to, to have to be put in a more awkward situation? <laughs> no, I just figured you liked worse decks than me. <laughs> I've been talking about playing Mill at the RPDQ, so I just assumed. That's hot. Yeah. That's all, okay. Maybe ne- maybe after I guess the next episode will be post RPTQ. Yeah, I don't know. I d- I will say that I don't know for certain what deck that I'm going to play for the RPTQ, but there are several that I'm considering, and Blue Black Milk is on that list, and I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, I have to try to decide on what the metagame is going to shape up to be, but it it does attack a series of decks very effectively. I'm going to say this. I've been locked on Spirits now for about four weeks. <laughs> Feels great. I've been paying a lot of attention to what people are doing. I'm going to plan out my sideboard probably Tuesday, Wednesday. Make sure my sideboard guide's up to date. Very excited for this RPTQ. Feeling good things. Got good vibes about that. But Trey, let's say someone wants to tweet at you about how wrong you are in Splinter Twin and Spirits are the same deck. Where can they find you? Uh, at TreyMC. All right. Yeah, and you can also find me on basically all social media platforms at TreyMC. All right. If you want to talk to me about how writing about Splinter Twin being the new oh. spirits, tweet at Mason E. Clark using the hashtag Clarking. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. I've been streaming a lot of arena. I streamed a little artifact. It was pretty fun. I will say this. I got a couple messages and people said to me like, 
Thank you for streaming Artifact the way you did. I was able to talk through everything. And I had a couple people get more interested in the game. And they said it was actually watchable. So when I play Artifact on stream, I basically say what every card does and I compare them to Magic cards. So if you're interested in Artifact, I'm going to be streaming that game pretty casually for the next foreseeable future. So hop on in. Make sure to do a follow there. And I, I want to give Mason a compliment here. That is no small feat. Like, I, I have played Artifact and I have watched other people stream it. And it, you can get lost very quickly in what it is that's going on if you, if someone's not taking the time to do that. Yeah, it's very, especially if you've never played the game. But, um, you know, toot my own horn there. I think Artifact is a... We're going to talk about that more next week. we got a plan for that. But I think it's a sweet game. I think it can help you with magic. Trey, someone out there... This is the first episode, and they don't know that we're on the Constructed Criticism Network. I, insane. I, how, how do they not know? How do they not know? I no clue. You know, you know. As a magic player, you would acquire some small amount of information. <laughs> I know, right? Like you would know about Constructed Criticism with such pros as Hall of Famer Seth Mansfield what? and Gold Pro John Stern. Ooh. <laughs> you can also check out Common Knowledge. It's a popper podcast. Trey, do you know how you get to the Pro Tour these days? You play Mono Black Control. Yikes, you play, <laughs> you play Popper, and that's why we do the PPDQ episode, and they do the Popper episodes. <laughs> you can also have Homeward Path. Maybe you're someone who's like not doesn't have a lot of time on their hands. They're really kind of struggling to balance it all with life and being an MTG dad and all that kind of stuff. Homeward Path is a show for you, but Trey, there's a new podcast too. What? Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me now. Do you like the late show and interview shows? I do. Well, you might want to check out The Hive Minds. The Hive Minds, a new podcast that just hit the network. They've been doing episodes on YouTube now. They, they do them bi-weekly. So I think it's been about two years now because it's on episode 51. He interviews people from the magic community, comes on. You've had Spencer, who is the founder of the Constructive Criticism Network. You have uh, The Professor, uh, Jeff Hoogland, uh, a couple of pros on there. I can't think of his name. I see his face right now. You know, that white big guy that plays magic with a beard. <laughs> sure, that narrows it down. Yeah. No, but seriously, he it's great. He has an interview kind of interview late 90 kind of feel is how I feel about it. Kind of like when you watch the Jay Leno show or something like that. <laughs> Trey's like Jay Why Leno. Why would you pick the Jay Leno show? <laughs> so when I think late night, I think Jay Leno. Not even the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. The post-Tonight Show Jay Leno was fired Jay Leno show. <laughs> yeah, the best one. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, you know, but it's just, it's kind of got that kind of vibe to it. At least that's how I would describe it. It's very fun, very lighthearted, and it's definitely something you should check out. He does it bi-weekly. I think his next one is with Ashlyn Rose, who's a cosplayer. So it's going to be pretty exciting. And what is that podcast called again? The Hive Mind. The Hive Mind. And, and isn't that also, is that the uh, an R-rated podcast just so people are oh, aware yeah, of it? Yeah, it is R-rated. Um, I believe he says at the start of the episode too, but it is for, you know, if you have children, they don't always cuss a whole bunch, mm-hmm. but because of the style of it, they are like a little bit more like, hey, if you drop the F-bomb, that cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm here like, if we drop the F-bomb one day, I can't wait to have the little auto bit I'm going to put over top of it. <laughs> got to take down everything. So, <laughs> almost had to do that last episode. <laughs> no, but jokes aside, uh, make sure to definitely check out the network. Subscribe to there. Just just worth noting, we have like our own iTunes feed, our own Stitcher feed. You can go to the Constructive Criticism website. It has all the podcasts there, and you can subscribe to everything there. There's a little tab that says Podcasts. You can... Uh, go there and sync up all your devices from that point right there. So if you're like, man, I really like the idea of this Hive Mind and the CC show, but I can't find them on iTunes, just go to constructedcriticism.com and look for the podcast tab. It's pretty easy to use. Yeah, and we really appreciate all the feedback that we've received um, You know, for our podcast, any of the reviews that have been left. Those things help a lot, and uh, thank you so much for that, and, and please continue to do so. Yeah, leading reviews is super helpful. It makes it so when other people are finding us, they have a little thing, and it does pop you up on the things when you like, you know, have five stars, baby, yeah. never lost. 
Yeah, and if any of the reviews you make specific mention to either me or Mason, we do use that to trash talk each other, so that is useful as well. Uh, I love our reviews. (laughs) There are some sweet reviews out there. Yeah. But uh, thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week. All right. We have the post-podcast bit. No wow okay this week. We're talking another card game, Trey. You ready? I'm ready. Keyforge, baby. Love Keyforge. What is Keyforge? So, Richard Garfield, as you may know. Praise be him. Our Lord and Savior. Whoa! <laughs> Calm down! <laughs> uh, as you know, the original creator and designer of Magic Gathering yep. has made another game, Keyforge. We're both looking at our Keyforge Call, decks. Call of the Archons. I believe that's the set name. Uh, who knows? <laughs> it's the set name. <laughs> as of right now, it's the only set. So the game... Keyforge Call of the Archon. This is really helpful for people. I'm sure they like it. I know, it. I know. They love this content. Uh, but no, Keyforge is great. It, it's a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's an interesting game. It's a collectible card game, but not in a traditional like trading card game sense. Like You buy pre-constructed decks, and those decks are randomly generated. And they have individual backs and individual names so that you don't do deck building. Like Those are the decks that you play with. But every deck that you buy is a different randomly generated deck. And there's overlap of individual cards in there, but each deck is unique. And you can't swap cards out between decks. You play with whatever the deck is that you get. And so, you know, you have a good example of what can happen with that from two decks that you bought today. Yeah, so so the thing that... It, I tell this to people a lot, and I know someone out there is like, what do you mean? Every deck is different, you know, nothing about the deck you deck. Instead of buying booster packs to build a deck, you spend $10 and you get a deck. And you know nothing about it because of the box art. So you don't know if you're getting like a Azorius Gagari deck, right? You're just getting a deck. I bought two decks. I opened them up and I'm just going to use magic terms. So basically uh, there are seven colors in the game that we call guilds. And each deck is three guilds. And that kind of matters with the gameplay. But I basically got like Azorius Gagari and like Demir. And my other deck was Azorius Gagari is it, right? And one of my decks... It, it has a lot of really strong cards, but it lacks a clear way to win the game. So I kind of got got by the RNG. And I'll say this. I'm the first person I've seen that's gotten got. Like, I've seen stuff online and whatnot. But, like, in my local area, so I would say about 1 in 10 decks you might get got. Which happens. Also, it could be I'm just not playing it right. My other deck, though, is very strong. <laughs> it is. In fact, it, I, I joke to Trey that it's like my one deck got, like, no rares. And my other deck got all my rares. <laughs> and so... Just a big swing, and even though the decks are very similar, they actually play out very differently because of those little things. And the cool thing about Artifact is that it makes you balance your resources and plan ahead of time. This is kind of the main reason we want to talk about it. Right, yeah. So the the game, the system, the way that it works is that as opposed to having a, a mana system where you have to manage your resources in that way, it has you know the three guilds that you have for each of your decks. And so each turn, you have to pick a guild. And whatever guild you pick, you can play all the cards that you have in your hand that are of that guild. And you can use all the cards that you have in play that are of that guild. But you can't use or play any of your other cards. And so you can get into these situations where you play out a bunch of stuff of one guild. And the next turn, you have a bunch of those cards in play, but your hand doesn't have any of those cards or has very few of them. And so you have to pick, do you want to use your resources that are in play? Do you want to use the resources that are in your hand? And you have to be able to plan ahead to figure out what's the best way to try to go about winning the game with that tension on every turn. Yep. And it also is a cool thing where it prevents snowballing most likely. Since every deck is 36 cards, right? You have 12 cards from each guild. So it's unlikely that you have like a turn where you play five Golgari cards, you draw back up, because in the end of the turn you always go back up to six cards, which right. is an interesting thing. 
And it's like, you very rarely have another five Golgari cards. Just, just how, and if you do, that means you're not drawing any more Golgari cards, really. So it creates this weird dynamic and also creates this counterplay where it's like, well, they have a lot of Golgari cards on the board I really want to kill, but they haven't played any, like, is it cards in a while, so I'm going to kill these is it cards. And so it creates a really cool dynamic, and I think the game's super fun. It's very low entry, $10 is all you really need. Um, and then the skill ceiling, I think, is very high. And I think this game, if it was released on a digital platform, would destroy games like Hearthstone and Artifact and stuff like that. I think I think it's one of the best games I've played in the last 10 years. Yeah. And Easily. For, and for Magic players, you know, one of the things that we're always looking for when we're talking about playing other games are, are what ways that these playing these other games and practice skills that are used for full magic and Keyforge does that with the ability of like going back to what we talked about in our last episode of, of having a plan because you have to generate a plan every turn and be able to like figure out the best way to execute that plan to get ahead because otherwise you'll fall way behind when playing in Keyforge and so it's a good practice for that skill set 100% well thank you everyone and roll with us next week